Hey, and welcome to Why'd You Buy That? I'm Drew. I'm Dan. Today we talked about, Dan, your anniversary coming up and money you spent on that. Gifts, anniversary gifts. Uh Uh-huh. And the trip on the pond. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I hope that gets edited out. (laughs) No, it will not. Live on in the introduction. (laughs) (laughs) And then Drew's got a story about giving away water and then buying the water back. (laughs) There's a coin shortage, and that explains a um, interesting experience I had to try. I, I had trying to sell a dollhouse, and then uh, oh, and then we we talked to Jessica Steele, comes on friend of the podcast, and she talks about budgeting and uh, how her budgeting mindset changed in the past uh, year, even pre-pandemic, but in the past year. And then we talk about relationships and who owns the budgeting mantle in a relationship all right stick around hey and welcome to this episode of why'd you buy that dan how you doing how I'm are doing things? good doing great <laughs> how you doing drew oh, good how's life in utah everything good oh yeah life's good here in utah it's hot it's been like up to 100 degrees most days and which is a little it's a little warm for me but it's good you know but what did you call the sun in last uh, last yeah, pod, our last episode? Pod? The sun is like <laughs> this free burning machine that uh, emits happiness. Hands down, happiness. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. good. So, so still there. Good. Still well, there. I am. I am working in the basement, which is pretty cold, and so it is nice to like. It's almost like a sauna, right? So like a couple times a day. I'll go outside, maybe go to the back porch and just sit there for five minutes and just like get kind of toasted. So that part of it is nice, actually. If I was like actually working outside, that would that would not be fun. Well, coming up in this pod, we have a conversation with Jessica Steele, and she lives in New York City. She works in fashion, but she has a great blog with some fashion uh, with some budgeting posts on it and so we talked to her about her change in budgeting mindset when we talk about budgeting in couples and like who owns like the budgeting moniker you know sets the sets the tone for the spending and uh, we talk about a lot of interesting things so stay tuned for that but before we do that dan thought it would be fun to do a round of why did you buy that so what do you say we open our weekly trackers and pick something out and explain what we bought and why. Yeah, let's do this thing. So I am I'm gonna pick one out that is listed in weekly as Dan's anniversary gift. So this is like a little special thing. So obviously whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. my <laughs> my transactions and my wife transactions are all coming in through weekly, right? We're sharing the same weekly spending amount. And so as a way to cover up where she purchased something, she named a transaction Dan's anniversary gift. So I didn't know what it was at the time, but we're going out of town for a couple of days this weekend for our anniversary. Congratulations. And, Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How many is it? <laughs> so this is 11. Actually. All right. Last year was 10. So 11 comes after 10. <laughs> Wait, what was that? Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know why I had to say right last year was 10, right? It's like this year's 11, so last year was 10. Not 10. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. 10 is a so, big number. 11 feels like, okay. 
This is one more. <laughs> it is kind of They're interesting. All good, though. They're all good. Yeah. Right. All all good. Ten's like we were kind of hoping to do a bigger trip, but my wife was getting ready to to coach another season at Cedar Ridge High School for the volleyball team, and we just had a lot going on, so we didn't do much. But so this year's a little bit a little different. We're going out of town for a few days. We're back in Utah, so we have in laws around who can watch the kids for for a few days, and that's like not a big deal. So excited about that, but. Anyway, back to my tracker. Transaction $72, Dan's anniversary gift. So, yeah, did you have a question? I do have a question. So, this means that you got married. Where did you get married? We got married here in Utah. Utah. Yeah, in, uh, the Mount Timpanogos Temple here in, in Highland, Utah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, it was, uh, it was like a late summer wedding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, August August 18th is the, the official day. But This is a deep topic. We did not plan on this, but... Did you budget for your wedding or how did you deal with the money with your wedding? So a few things with that. So my parents, I think my parents had a great approach with our wedding. They said, we will pay up to $5,000 for the groom's expenses of the wedding, right? I I can't even remember what the the groom's family usually pays for and the bride's family usually pays for or whatever. Rehearsal dinner, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, something. But what they said was, we'll pay up to $5,000. Anything over that, like you're going to have to cover it. But if you spend less than that, we will give you the balance. Like we'll, we'll commit $5,000. So there's kind of an incentive, you know, it's like, you know, they're helping us out. But if we're mindful about how we use the money, then there'll be a little bit left over. So I thought that was a good a good approach that didn't put them in like a weird negotiating situation with like every expense that came up. It's like, we cover this, we cover this, we cover this, right? That is more like upfront there. They just give us the number and and then we kind of have the incentive to keep the spending low. Did it cause any friction between you and Anna though? We were like, one of you wanted to spend the money on a fancy dinner and one of you was like, no, let's save it and pay down our credit card debt. Unfortunately, we didn't have any debt at this time, but I I mean, I've told you this story before. We we both served missions for our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Missouri and Kansas, and then came home at the same time. Didn't know each other uh, real well on the mission, but we came home at the same time got engaged on our first date, which was like four days after we had gotten home from a two-year mission. So hadn't seen our families. And then we got married like two and a half months after that. So needless to say, we were not real involved in the details of the wedding. Like we were dating, we were getting back home. I had started like a part-time job and like it was just crazy. And so there definitely wasn't any friction between us on the planning of the wedding and our moms both kind of took an active role and worked it out. So yeah. So do you remember if there was any money left over from that? I do remember. I remember there was about $600 left, which, (laughs) which was great. Right. Like Mm -hmm. initially I was like, Oh, we could do this for like 1500. (laughs) 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 Obviously I had no experience planning a wedding, but I do remember there was, there was probably five or $600 left at the end, which was which was Did awesome. you use that to pay for the honeymoon? Did you have a honeymoon? We had a short honeymoon up in Salt Lake. We really didn't um, spend a ton of money on that trip. Like we just kind of went around and did some things locally. Got massages. We went on like a, a little boat ride in one of the lakes in Salt Lake. Not the Salt Lake, but a different little 
pond thing and just like did some like local activities. Okay. <laughs> We're going to have to edit that part out. It sounds so bad. It sounds like the worst ever. Oh my God. Still- <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, little if, right around if the- I were, you know, that's the whole thing. When we got married, I was, I was, was more, I was just anxious about the whole money thing because I was yeah. going up to school, but now I was married. So we needed our own place. It wasn't like I could just room with four other people and like, you know, work a part-time job and figure it out. So like, I was really anxious about that whole deal. And fortunately, when we moved up to Logan to go to Utah State, Anna's sister-in-law, who was up there with her brother, told us about the Pell Grants. And so we got like $5,000 a semester from the Pell Grants, which wasn't a student loan. It was just money. And that, that like saved us. We, we would not have survived without that. So, but before, I, I mean, I didn't even know about that going up there. So I was just on faith, right? Like, how are we going to live and pay for a place? And, but I just figure people do it every day. So there's got to be a way. So this is after the wedding you're talking about. Yeah, this is the, yeah, but like kind of preparing for the the honeymoon. I was thinking oh. about money and oh, I, I only see, had I like a couple thousand dollars in the bank. You know, I think I spent a thousand dollars on her ring, which was kind of low because I already had the diamond from my parents who got it from my grandma. It's, it's oh, a, long, a nice. lot of details in this story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so great. 11 years later, are you going back 11 to the years pond later, thing? <laughs> we're not going back to the pond. <laughs> we are going to Las Vegas this weekend. No staying way. Caesar's palace. No way. So that should be a blast. Wait, wait, wait. I don't see you as the gambling type, Dan. Like, what's going on? You know, I've never gambled before. I, I uh, would probably be embarrassed. It's one of those things where, like, you just have no idea. So if I went down to the gambling floor, I wouldn't even know what's what or where to start, like, other than maybe a slot machine. But even that, like, do you have to get tokens or does it just take quarters or... You know, like I I don't know. Actually, I haven't done the slots machines, but you know, I've played roulette and blackjack. The craps tables always seem intriguing to me, but it's there's a lot of like (laughs) complex. Complex. It feels Uh as complex. You have the different areas, and you can't put your bet on certain areas until other things happen on the table, and so you just kind of you want you should go. You should you should look at that. Yeah, table, yeah, you might be really. <laughs> Maybe you I'll just, just sit there and watch everything like... that's going on. What the <laughs> heck is going on? Yeah, we're, we'll definitely have to check that out. But yeah, we don't really gamble. But you know, it's it'll be relaxing. Like it, it would be nice to go to some shows. I think, but that you know, they're all closed down right now. Yeah, this is a interesting time to be going to Las Vegas. Yeah, but my friend, they're, the rooms hotel are cheaper, rooms were cheap. So yeah, the hotel like, rooms are cheaper. To do. <laughs> are the restaurants open? <laughs> <laughs> oh my can we God. get food is there food here is there food is, is there, or is it just the hotel room that's it so yeah. i'll let you know but you'll be with your wife that's the most important thing. yeah that's yeah it'll be great the pool's open so you know they got yeah. these oh, yeah. big fancy pools so we'll hang out there my yeah. wife actually got this other anniversary gift which i thought was so thoughtful it's not the one that's in my tracker but she bought these like all these different magazines that i would be interested in like entrepreneur oh. and startup and different things that i've never read like i just don't i don't know i don't read magazines or subscribe to magazines right i, I it never even crossed my mind but i'm excited she's like we're going to go by the pool and i got you these magazines you can read through them and 
that'll be interesting. So I thought there that was like go. really thoughtful. Yeah. And it'll be a break I'm, from the, from the kids and stuff. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, totally. I'm the type of person that if I wasn't married to my wife, if I was single or married to someone else who was like me, my life would get increasingly bland. Like I would kind of refine the few things that I do and do them really well and kind of always do that. So my meals would be like very simple and like always the same thing. So You'd be like Steve Jobs, like who used to always wear yeah, the same black exactly. turtleneck every day. Exactly. That's it, right? That's Boom, it. But so basically, Anna is keeping you from being Steve Jobs. That's what we're <laughs> talking about here. Yes. Do we the get that? Like, that happens. <laughs> I would just, uh, it would not be good. I, I think I would really, yeah, she brings a lot of color to my life. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. Anyway, did, back to the, oh, were, were well, we in the middle did of something? You, did we? <laughs> did we? <laughs> I still haven't got to what she bought me, the original question. <laughs> okay. Okay. I have a follow-up question to that. Okay, you keep going. Well, no, I mean it's kind of a separate thing actually now. Well, but what what's the follow-up question? Hit me with You that. want the follow-up question before yeah. the for the answer to the first question? Did did you oh, get her oh. something for answer for oh, oh, anniversary? That. Um yes. Yes, I did. Okay. I see the the question, the follow-up question. I'll give you my my first thing now. So she okay. she bought me a I actually don't know what it's called. It's like uh, m- like a m- kind of a masculine leather toiletry kit, right? Where you just put whatever stuff in it, like hair gel and deodorant and and your razor and whatever else. Which is another one of those things w- that I would have never thought to buy for myself. But once she gave it to me, it really fit in with kind of where I'm at in my life, which is like trying to step into into my 30s, like more professional adult, have things organized. And, you know, some of the things that you travel with are a little bit nicer, right? So you have like a bag for for all these toiletries rather than just like shoving them in a pocket on your way out the door, right? In like a bag, (laughs) which is what I would usually do. I mean, I don't have that many things. Like... (laughs) Uh, Before you said putting them in a bag first, I just had this picture of you like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> getting ready to go and stuffing your your toothbrush in your pocket and <laughs> like whatever as hair gel or out whatever. the door. It's fine. Just, I got just, it. Got my brush right here. Uh, Let's go. Yeah, got see, that's the thing. Like it, it won't explode or anything. It's right here. <laughs> got it. So that was a really good, thoughtful gift. That, that is nice. One of those things that you know. I I think for me. Or in life, I think like if you live with someone and you have enough money to buy the things that you need, sometimes buying a gift can be hard, right? It's like, well, if you really wanted something or needed something, you'd probably already have it. Mm-hmm. And so she like really knocked the ball out of the park. She got some some gifts this time that were really thoughtful and that I hadn't thought about. But when she gave them to me, I was like, man, I could totally use that. So I was impressed. Yeah. Good on, good on Anna. Yeah, she did way better than me. I've been busy and I like, I didn't even think about an anniversary gift. I was just thinking about the trip, right? For like sure. we're going on a trip. That's what we're so doing. Who does the trip planning in your relationship? Or is I would it say shared? that's kind of shared. Yeah, yeah. More shared. Like I booked the hotel and kind of did the research on where to stay. I talked to my brother who has been to Las Vegas a bunch and kind of asked like, what are fun things to do and where's a good place to stay and parking and different things like that. But, you know, there's a lot of aspects to it. There's the there's the food preparation and what food you're bringing, what food you're going to buy while you're there. And so, you know, we kind of we just kind of split it up. 
as mm. we go. Okay. So what did you what did you, uh, did you get her? You remembered the follow up question. It's not as good. So I got her a new phone case, which I know she has wanted. It's nice. a l- loopy phone case, which has like a little like a little rubber band on the back that you can slide your finger into. And I should know more about this, but I'm I'm not even sure why she wants it or what the appeal is. Like if it's just easier to hold or I don't know. I bought it though because <laughs> I know she wants that. So So she told you what she wanted for her anniversary gift? She didn't like say that explicitly, but I knew that was something that she has been talking about. It's like wanting one of those. Mm. So that was kind of a softball. Okay. Cool. Okay. That's it. That was my uh 15 minute why'd you buy that story <laughs> yeah that <laughs> was turn. good There's so so much good stuff in there <laughs> well i have a kind of a funny story which is has to do with the hurricane who came that came through mm-hmm. and uh like you i'm a huge fan of my wife and uh she's really good about making sure things are taken care of and so as the hurricane comes through we need to have an emergency <laughs> an emergency kit of things at the house right in case the power yeah. goes out or if I guess the hurricane like does damage to the house. And so one of the things you're supposed to have in your emergency kit is like water. Yeah. I guess sure. in case the water goes out, like the water, I haven't really understood Maybe you can explain this to me, but if your electricity goes out, your water doesn't go out. So is the theory when there's a flood that there's going to be so much flooding that the water processing plant is going to be flood over flooded and can no longer process water to get it to your house. Like, yeah, I don't know what like the infrastructure concerns are there, but I would think it would be like at, at that level, like the water processing plant. I don't know if if there are like pumps that are generating the water yeah, pressure at mm-hmm. all, you know, so I would think it would be something related to that. But I, I mean, yeah. I hear you like when the coronavirus first started, we went out and bought a bunch of water and then was like... <laughs> What were you doing? Why did you buy water? I need water. Why is it water? I know it was a bad. I mean, it was just kind of like a reflex because that it had never really been a thought to buy water until we moved to North Carolina like four years ago, and then that was like a thing. Like we have these big storms, and you got to go buy water, and that's really important. And that was kind of like, oh, Oh. wow, like okay, (laughs) yeah, I guess that's what we do. So we were just kind of in. uh, I remember, I remember being in Costco. We like bought five cases of water. There was like thirty six bottles in each case. And after I checked out, I was like, "What are we doing anyway?" anyway yeah, I think it's yeah, good yeah. to have water no, though. I, I yes, I guess, I guess because the story is that we had a bunch of water at the house already. From it was just gallons of water that we just had at the house and i looked at them like we're we're not going to use these gallons of water and they're taking up space and and which is really funny for me because i usually keep stuff way too long my modus operandi is to have too much stuff thinking that i'm going to use it sometime in the future so for me to proactively throw something out that was a different event <laughs> so yeah i took the six gallons of water that was just sort of sitting there and i'm like these are gonna bust open and leak or something let's just get rid of them i wanted to give them to a food bank right mm-hmm. were these um like purchased jugs or jugs. like mm-hmm. they weren't like empty milk jugs that you rinsed out and like put water in them for storage it was like you bought these 
water. Bought, bought this, prepared. bought the water. I assume gotcha. we might want to drink it. And if you just fill it up with tap water and you seal it, I'm not sure that that's like totally sterile, right? You might right, come back right, right. in like six months and there's fungus in there or yeah, algae or something, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's not safe to drink, I, I, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I, anyway, I threw out the water like five or six months ago and then we have this hurricane come through. And so my wife is like, please pick up some more water. And then I was like, I didn't know we needed the first water. <laughs> and so now we have a bunch of water sitting on the counter over there. And I don't know where to store it. So <laughs> that's the end of that. Well, there Story. is an interesting, like, psychological aspect to that choice in finance and managing your stuff and managing your money, right? What do you mean? Like, well, you just barely got rid of this product. Then you bought it again mm -hmm. because of an upcoming storm. And now the storm has passed. And you're in the exact same situation you were in before you got rid of the product the first time. Right. But I guarantee it's going to be harder to just toss it now mm -hmm. because you mm -hmm. just barely bought it. So the time that has elapsed since your purchase, I think, makes a big difference, even though your situa situation now is no different than when you threw out the water the last time. Yeah. So mentally, you're saying I should just throw it out again if I just don't want it to, to hang around. If it was the right decision the first time, then yeah. But you like just... maybe now, you know, the next storm, like Tracy's going to say, hey, get some water and... And you just need to have it. Yeah. I, but where are you at with it mentally? Uh, finding a storage place for it. Like, <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to figure out where this water goes. <laughs> Seems like I should be able to find a nook or a cranny somewhere. Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. So it's it's staying. It's staying this time. I think it's staying. I don't know. But <laughs> this goes back to, like, like, why did people buy toilet paper during the coronavirus? Yeah. Like, logically, I, that makes no sense. It, well, I, I didn't know. Like, one of the things that I th that had kind of made sense in my mind was a significant portion of the workforce is now at home during the whole day when they would previously have been at work. And so the toilet paper usage for residential use would have gone up and the commercial use would have gone down. So one kind of plausible thing that I conclusion that I drew was maybe there just wasn't the reserve of kind of residential personal toilet paper in inventory. And so when people are staying home, they start buying toilet paper all of a sudden, like there's a lot more people buying toilet paper. And then it becomes an issue, which is when people start kind of stockpiling, right? I don't know if yeah. that's true, but that's just a theory. That is the most logical explanation I have heard. I mean, I haven't asked a lot of people, but uh, <laughs> that's pretty logical. I, I feel like it's like people think virus. They think I'm going to be sick. They think <laughs> diarrhea. And they're like, yes. I better have some toilet paper. <laughs> Even though the coronavirus is a respiratory, it's a respiratory has no effect on your digestive system uh -huh. as, far as, I, as far as I know. Do you know any different? Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, yeah I, it just has any effect. Yeah. I think it's just respiratory. Yeah, yeah. But so that's such a weird, interesting, like human psychology that something unrelated becomes the dominant, and now we're all the dominant mode of behavior. And now we're all looking for it. We're all looking for this. <laughs> it was like you with the fireworks you were talking about. It was like, yeah, yes. I didn't go in there looking for fireworks, but when everybody clamored to it, I better start buying yeah. it. Yeah, and then it just it just happens until the fever goes away or something. Yeah. 
You know, another thing that's similar to that in terms of shortages is the coin shortage in our country. Do you have that going on? Have you been to any places where you've bought anything and you've had signs that ask you to pay with the card because of the national coins shortage? No, I have a, I have sort of that makes now that you say that something that happened to me makes more sense, but go ahead and tell me more about that. I actually, um, I wasn't planning on talking about, it. I don't know a lot about it other than a number of places I've been to. They, they like don't have coins or they're asking to pay with a card or at one place I went to, they just changed their pricing to include tax and round it off to the dollar. So it's just like, they don't deal with coins at all because nothing they sell has like change, you know? Could it be a coronavirus thing? Meaning the more you handle coins, the more it gets on your hands and right. But it's a shortage. It's not like for safety reasons. Oh. So maybe we'll have to circle back on our next pod and and investigate into <laughs> what that's all about. Yeah. So my story regarding coins is that, you know, there was a there was a dollhouse that our my kids had outgrown. And so I was taking it to shop that would sell it and give us the buy it from me and then also resell it for higher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this, you might find this interesting. You tell me if it's funny or not. So I go in there and this dollhouse was really nice. It was just, there were actually, there were two things. So two stories. The first story is I had a really nice dollhouse, really nice, made of wood. We spent money we spent money on it had all the pieces had these little cute little tables and chairs and things that the dolls could sit on it was all made of wood and they closed and opened and it was just cute right yeah and yeah, yeah. it had the house it was three stories and all the people that went into it and so i i think we spent like 250 dollars on this house right we've had it for a lot we have three girls and some you know different levels of interest for each girl but and we had boys too, so you know, don't want to stereotype, but <laughs> right. So we, you know, I take it in, and I, I'm like, this is two hundred and fifty dollars of worth of stuff, and I don't know what they're going to give me for it, but I put it in, and they offer me like forty bucks. Mm-hmm. So they're going to sell it. They're going to try to sell it for eighty. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I don't know. And then the thing is, I I turn around and I see another dollhouse over there. It's two or three stories high, but with no pieces or anything in it, and they're selling it for a hundred bucks. And it's not even as nice. It's not as the wood is not as thick. You can sort of tell it's not as well put together. And like it just kind of has these stickers on the inside and stuff. And I, you know, they come back and I'm like, <laughs> now I'm negotiating for basically like 10 or 20 bucks, you know, <laughs> like how pathetic is this? But I'm like, it just doesn't feel fair, right? I'm like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, that yeah. over there is worth a hundred bucks, right? And this thing has got way more stuff. It's way bigger. It's better made. What's the deal? And she was like, well, the reason that's so expensive is it's from a blah, blah line. But it was, she said some brand name of doll that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't mm-hmm. tell. It didn't have the markings of that on it. It was simply the stickers on the inside that gave it its value. And so I was Interesting. like, okay, uh, all right. You know, so we settled on 50. So she gave me 50 bucks. Oh, well, okay. Okay. So here's the other piece of the story, which is I had, this is, this is the thing. I had this small, like Fisher price type of, farm it was a farm right it was kind of fisher price with the little people mm-hmm. and you have the animals on them and you could put the 
there's like little gates you could put on it and you sort of stick it in this house. And I was like, okay, after that first experience, I was like the Fisher price thing, let me look this up. So I opened the, in terms of what would the retail price for something like this be? And so I look and I look for Fisher price farm and I'm seeing them on sale for like brand new $34. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, mm-hmm. well, they're going to sell this for 15. They're going to give me eight. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. So I, that's all I'm expecting. And I was like, well, here's my second thing. And I put it on the table and they, they go and they do their analysis and they come back and they go, listen, you're not going to be happy with this, but all we can give you is 20 bucks. I'm like 20 bucks. That's more than I thought. What's going on with this thing? And then she says, and I don't, and then I was like, why wouldn't I be happy with that? And she goes, well, we can see that it's on sale or not on sale, that someone's selling this exact thing on eBay for 180 bucks like on ebay this so it's like a classic or something this thing that i have that particular model or whatever that particular model right and i'm uh-huh. like oh okay 180 bucks maybe i can <laughs> maybe i could package it maybe up and, and and like ship it on yourself yeah sell it on ebay and like talk to people on ebay and package <laughs> it up and <laughs> like maybe they ship it back maybe it doesn't have all the pieces and i'm thinking like, okay, if uh, I got to be, is that what I do? Do I sell used toys? Or what do I yeah. do with my life? Right? <laughs> right. What am I yes. doing with my life? Right. What yes. am I doing? So long story short, I was like, well, is that your offer? Is it 20 bucks? Right. And she says, I don't know. Let me check. And then she goes, she thinks about it some more. It's all in her. She's like, I'll give you 1250. It's not even 20 bucks now. It's like the price is lowered. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so now Are it's not 20, it's 1250. <laughs> So I, uh, you're kidding. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, listen, I'm just trying to get stuff done. Fine. Take it for, give me 1250. I mean, some other kid will enjoy it. Really. I don't see them selling it for 180 bucks. in yeah, this yeah. Basically used toy store. And uh, like, they're only going to be able to get 25 for it. I, that's all yeah. I thought they would sell it for. I thought they were going to sell it for 15. Right. So yeah. fine. So this is the whole, I'm getting to the coins. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We get to the coins. It's a good story. So I'm like, fine, 1250. <laughs> and so it's the very end of the day. And they're like, okay, here's twelve fifty. They're handing me out in cash, like one, two, three. The, the, they get to twelve dollars. First of all, it's a little weird taking cash in coronavirus land, but I'm like yeah, just yeah, grabbing yeah. the very yeah. edge of it and like sticking my wallet, hoping that yeah. the coronavirus that gets in my wallet like dies. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. in the meantime. Uh-huh. Dude, right. Am I the only one that has these thoughts? No, I haven't really worked in cash, but yeah, I mean, I would think the same thing. And so I'm like, great. And then I'm like, the 50 cents. And she's like, we don't have 50 cents. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes, I can give you 50 pennies and I'm like, I don't want 50 pennies. Like I don't want 50 pennies, but why, why should I be the one taking the short end of the deal? So it's insane that I care about 50 cents, but at the same time, like, why don't they just give me a dollar? Right? Like they're the one that doesn't have the change. And so we're this weird dynamic of, we don't want to give you a dollar, but we'll give you this pack of pennies. And I'm like, I don't want your pennies. And they're like, you know, there's like well, what? your problem, it. right? It's, it's good American money. <laughs> oh oh my gosh! So yeah. that could be the reason, like the coin shortage. Maybe they they couldn't get quarters, is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I that was yeah, when you said possibly. coin shortage. I was like, oh, maybe that's why they couldn't yeah. give me fifty cents. Now it kind of makes sense, like mm-hmm. um, why we were in this weird 
predicament, in which case she should have offered me 26 and we would have been fine. Or even 24 because there would be no change. Never offer an odd number because if yeah. you break it in half, no, I just... Right, not, right, right. I'm with not you. Not an I'm odd number, uh, a fractional, something with, with yeah, pennies yeah. in it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> something <laughs> that if it was divided by two, you'd have a coin flip. <laughs> no, that is interesting. Like, I think that's a good, I'm glad you stuck to your guns and you went with it because. You mean selling it? Yeah, selling it. Like, I think if you came home with that thing, you would be taking it back there in like three weeks when you realize that you don't want to go through the trouble of getting it all figured out on eBay, you know? Yeah. Like I think selling stuff on eBay, you got to do that as a thing. You sell stuff on eBay. That's like part of what you do. And that's different than like maybe selling something, like bringing something to a consignment store like that or um, selling it through Craigslist or something. Like I think eBay is a different animal. You know, you got to ship it. There's the, uh, there's the auction thing. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. So that was the analysis I, I, I made. Good. Although I, I can see if I was, if I was counting every penny, and I, you know, had lost my job or yeah. whatever, or especially if I had the extra time, I mean, I wouldn't made a, I would have made a definitely a different decision. Yeah. My current status was like, what is my goal? My goal is to clean up the house and get things in order so that I can be more productive, I guess. I don't know. Who would have thought Fisher Price Farm? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing that that, that, that would be something that could possibly be. You know, a collector's uh, item. Yeah, a collector's item. Yeah, no, no, no. Like and we've had kids. it since my oldest son was a little boy. So that's twenty years ago. Mm. Yeah, man. Mm. Oh man, it's, a, it's okay. a good farm. Now you got your twelve bucks. So did you just end up with the twelve dollars? Is that yeah. what happened? No. You want to hear the sad part of it? Is that well, there's <laughs> more is, to this story? That, the sad part of it is the manager was like, she rolled her eyes. And at she just wanted situation just the situation, you. not at me. Yeah. She wasn't right, mad right. at me. Yeah. She was like, what am I going to do? She went into her own purse and gave me two quarters. And then I said, don't give me money out of your own, your own purse. And she said, no, it's fine. And then we'll turn around and left. And <laughs> I don't, I feel uh, like, don't I feel like dirt, you know? Oh, uh, that is, that is it. I can't believe you left that out of the story. That's like, that's, <laughs> that's really part of it. That's the punchline is the poor manager <laughs> having to deal with it. Here's my 50 cents. Just take it. Yeah. It's like, she's probably making, I mean, you know, she works yeah, in retail. Yeah. They, they don't make huge, huge salaries. When yeah. So, I mean, I don't want mean to prejudge, but you know, she right, took something right. out of her yeah, own paycheck yeah. to just make me happy. It's so yeah. sad. I need to go back and give that 50 cents back <laughs> with a huge donation. Uh, that's Although, good. it wasn't what my fault that they didn't have ch- well they did have change you know you get yeah, it you I get, get the it. whole I thing nobody wants 50 pennies that's like worse than zero pennies <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with this oh man well this is a good long pot so why don't we take a break here we'll bring in Jess and then we'll keep this thing rolling this episode is brought to you by Weekly our app that helps you stick to a budget It's in the Apple iOS app store. You can also find us at weeklybudgeting.com. We have a completely different take on budgeting. The traditional method is to operate on a month, to put everything into categories and subtract the money out of categories. But this ends in frustration for lots of people. 
because they get halfway through the month. They may have overspent or underspent a category. They're not sure where to grab the money from. Oh, by the way, does this sound familiar? Hey, honey, where's the target receipt? I'm trying to figure out if that is a household expense or a food expense. It's just a disaster. So then you end up at the end of the month, you're not sure what happened and you just give up. So we've come up with a different way, which is to operate on a weekly basis. We take your recurring income, your recurring expenses, we subtract your expenses from your income, and then we come up with what you can safely spend for a week. Then we keep you in touch with that number, downloading your transactions from the bank so that you can always know what is safe to spend. This alleviates the guilt of spending and lets you spend with more joy. So we hope you give the app a try. Um, you can go to weeklybudgeting.com, click on the icon, go to the app store. You can also search in the app store for weekly budget or weekly budgeting. Right now we're at the top of the organic rankings for that and give it a try. Let us know what you think and welcome to the podcast and welcome to the weekly community. We would like to welcome friend of the podcast, Jessica Steele. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We were talking a little bit before the pod began, just kind of like how we do have different lives, right? You, uh, so why don't you talk, could you tell the podcast listeners like where you're from and and how you got there and how you got into this kind of writing about budgeting? Yeah, absolutely. So I live in New York City in Manhattan. Um, I've been here about 11 years and um, originally from Pennsylvania, but I'm a, a committed New Yorker now. Yeah, you like it? Um, yeah, I love it here. I can't see myself anywhere else. So, which I know is is hard to imagine for a lot of people. Um, no, so. I love New I love New York City. Okay, great. Uh, I mean, you know, to visit or to live though. <laughs> I actually did live in New York City for oh. uh, three months. It, it wasn't that long, but I did an internship after college, and I was thinking about setting up shop there, but ended up coming back to North Carolina. But yeah, yeah. I considered it. I worked at Tower Records. You, you guys oh. know what a record store is? Like, <laughs> just joking. <laughs> I make yeah, that joke because I'm older. Hey, oh, you they're, do? They're back in fashion now. Yeah, yeah. see? Yeah. Just, like, just like wood paneling. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> Being in fashion, I'm sure that's good to be in uh, New York City. That seems like that would really be a hot spot. It is, yeah. I mean, I think that's... It, was kind of the driving force, you know, when I was thinking in high school and college where I wanted to be, I, I went to college in Philadelphia, but kind of always had my sights set on New York, you know, much to my mom's chagrin who thought I could still stay in small town, Pennsylvania, um, but there, there weren't as many opportunities there. So yeah, th that's where I've been and been working in fashion ever since. Um, and, you know, outside of kind of my nine to five, I have this on the side, um, a blog that focuses on fashion and travel and lifestyle. And, um, you know, just in the past couple of years as my own life sort of kind of transitioned and I, you know, hit the early thirties and started to think more about, okay, I, I need to get my money in order, you know, for the long term. I started to talk about that a little bit on my blog and it was, you know, kind of a new topic for me. It was usually like, Hey, here's the shoes that I'm loving right now. But the response was so positive. You know, my, my audience is largely like 25 to 45 year old women. And so many people reached out saying like, I love that you're talking about this now. Um, you know, this is the advice that I really need, not, you know, where to buy another summer dress. Um, although that's fun too, but it's that balance that people seem to really be craving. So that was great to hear. And it kind of aligned with where 
I was at. And so, you know, I've been mixing in that content ever since. And it's, it's really fun to talk about. I'm just kind of personally passionate about, you know, finance and what you can kind of make do with, even if you're living in an expensive city. So yeah, I'm excited to be here and kind of chat about that more today. Yeah. So talk about that transition for yourself. Like what was it? What was the moment? What was the shift in your money mindset? What what brought it on? How would you describe it? I think it was a long time coming in a lot of ways, but you know, in my twenties, I, and I think a lot of people can probably relate to this, but you know, you're focused on the fun stuff that, you know, the happy hour that's right in front of you or the said that I hate to keep saying shoes, but I, I love shoes. So it often comes back to that. Um, and as I got a little bit older, it was like, okay, you know, you're, you're getting by and that's good on, you know, you're, you're making it on your own here in New York, but in another 10 years, if you don't make a change, like you'll basically have nothing to show for it. You know, I, I think I, one started to just kind of want to prioritize experiences to, you know, more travel or, you know, planning for an eventual family or, or those types of kind of differences in lifestyle than the way that I had been probably living. And yeah, it kind of felt like it all kind of came to a head at the same time. It was like last January, um, probably, you know, the new year's resolutions and all of that. And it just felt like a time to kind of make a clean start in a lot of ways. So how did you figure out what was your priority spending and what things you could stop spending money on? Yeah, that was a, I mean, I think the first place I started. So um, I do live with my partner, Adam, and, you know, we kind of just laid everything out on the table. You know, here's every dollar we make in a month. Here are the things that are non-negotiable, are absolute, you know, fixed expenses. And you know, really besides rent and bills, everything else was kind of on the, you know, cutting room floor. Like, you know, nothing was sacred at that point. And then we just kind of talked through, it's interesting. I feel like for a lot of people, you know, budgeting feels really scary because you think you have to give everything up. And I think that's, that's not the approach that, or the kind of mindset that we really took, you know, it's more just defining what our values were and what was important to us. So you know, whereas a fancy gym may be really important to some people, I go to like a $10 a month planet fitness. I don't care. You know, it's bare bones, but it, that doesn't make a difference to me. So I was saving there, but then on the other hand, um, you know, we still wanted to be able to travel or, um, you know, enjoy the great restaurants here in New York. So we kind of picked and chose what made sense for our life and our lifestyle, but a lot got cut. Like, is this really important to you? If not, it's gone (laughs) Mm -hmm. and started there. Was it easy to figure out what was important to you or was it like, uh, mm, you know, I kind of like both of these things. I'm a pretty decisive person. So I feel like it was easy for me, probably harder for Adam. I think of the two of us, I'm definitely the, the budgeter and the, um, the one that, you know, handles the finances in the household. So he would probably be a little bit more wishy-washy if it were up to him. But I feel like to begin with, I had to be really strict just to kind of break the pattern that had been going for all these years, you know, and it was really like, okay, we have, you know, $38 left to spend this week or whatever it was, you know, found that bottom dollar line. And, you know, in the beginning, we took cash out sometimes for those last, okay, you know, there's $75 or whatever it is, here it is in cash. So truly after that this week, like, there's nothing else. So don't spend beyond that. 
And I feel like that really hard line then helped kind of set in motion the patterns that, you know, are now a lot easier to execute a year and a half later. What was it that drew you to, it sounds like you uh, had some expenses that were maybe subscriptions, like maybe a gym membership or something that you cut, but then for your day-to-day spending, it sounds like you guys had kind of a weekly approach and maybe used cash to track that. How did you budget it on a weekly budget before, or did that just kind of make sense to you? Or how did you kind of fall into that approach with using cash and taking it a week at a time? Yeah, we definitely had not. I feel like we were more of a what's left at the end of a pay period type budget. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that doesn't really work, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So the weekly just kind of, I feel like it was tangible. You know, it's, it's not like, oh, in a whole month we have this much to spend. And then, you know, it's, it's almost like too big of a bite to chew. Um, But a week we could kind of look at that and break it down and think, okay, I know that until, you know, Monday, this is what we've got. Um, so it, I think it just felt, yeah, a little bit more manageable that way. Um, and then the cash thing, I think, was, you know, a solution that I'd kind of heard on some other, you know, a mix of podcasts or books on, you know, how to manage your money. And it's it's not really that practical long term. Yeah, I, I was going to ask if <laughs> yeah. that has changed. Because, yeah, it, it has. Yeah. I think yeah. that lasted for a couple of months. And like I said, it was good in the beginning just to, you know, you could see the dollars right. that you had left. So yep. it's kind of foolproof. Um, but the world is not built for cash really anymore. So yeah, that only really kind of worked out so long, but it was a good reset. You know, if someone could write an app that would allow you to budget on a weekly basis, <laughs> but still spend with your credit card, nice. I think it would, you know, I would do it might, well. It might work. Yeah. It might work. <laughs> <laughs> So what were some savings goals that you set up for yourself? Like after you went through this like paradigm shift of prioritizing, figuring out what you really prior wanted to do, even if it was more expensive, but brought you joy, do those things, cut out the things that were, that were not your main priorities. Did you have a savings goal in mind? Did it take a while to get, how long did it take you to hit it? Well, we're missing one part of the equation that I haven't mentioned, which is the credit card debt that we first needed to pay off. It wasn't anything like we never could climb out of, but at the same time, it was just there lingering. You know, it was like 10 years of little things and then paying maybe more than the bare minimum each month, but never really feeling like you're fully chipping away at it. So that was kind of another thing that just felt like such a dead weight on us. And I feel like really contributed to that shift in money mindset, you know, at January 1st. like, let's get rid of that. Like, it feels like you're never going to get ahead with this just on your back. So last year was the year, okay, get rid of all the credit card debt, you know, um, and then work towards saving. We wanted our first goal was three months of living expenses. You know, if someone lost their job or, um, which, you know, now the pandemic, I feel like shows more than ever. Like it's, it's so important to have some sort of rainy day fund. Um, this is kind of like the rainy day no one saw coming, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so it it was twofold. It was first, you know, get rid of that just old, silly 20 year old credit card debt, um, or from being in our twenties and then move into the savings goals. So I don't know if it's too personal, but have, have you achieved that goal? Have you paid off your debt? Like, I mean, that's a, that's impressive within, you know, a year, year and a half, like to be through that already. That's pretty good. Yeah. This summer, um, we actually hit both of those, you know, we're 
super fortunate uh, and that the pandemic, we both kept our jobs through it. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't, like I said, the rainy day that some people certainly had, but between kind of not going out to eat for like four months and, um, literally, you know, no kind of outside expenses beyond just our basic fixed bills. Um, we were able to, I was thinking it was going to take us to the end of this year. And then we, we got to those points, um, here in the middle of the year. So it's great. Yeah. Congratulations. That's huge. So you're saying that because of the pandemic, fortunately you were able to keep your jobs, but also you had less travel, less eating out. And so you're, your week-to-week expenses went down and that has kind of been financially beneficial. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like it's a, you know, a silver lining, at least for us in an otherwise, you know, a, a tough year here in New York for sure. And, you know, while it's, it's hard to think like, you know, sometimes we say, should we be ordering more takeout though? To you know, there's all these little small yeah. businesses. Yeah. That <laughs> Restaurants. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, but on the other hand, it was like, oh, we were seeing our savings just like, you know, really go up during this time. So it was kind of a balance, but um, yeah, feel feel lucky that that was the case for us for sure. What have your blog readers been responding to in terms of you've heard from them and what are they asking about? And what's, what kind of feedback have you gotten from them on the topic? Yeah, for sure. This was, you know, I think a really hard time. You know, there's there's been so much this year that has felt bigger than fashion and bigger than travel and, you know, a strange time to navigate still feeling like a light, happy place, which was always the intent of the blog, you know, a place to just kind of be inspired and, you know, think about style and then balancing that with the reality of the world around you and kind of not wanting to seem tone deaf to that at all. And I think it took me until about April to finally kind of feel out the crowd. And I think on Instagram, I asked like, do you guys even want to see what I'd be buying for spring? You know, what clothes <laughs> or what, you know, like, it, does anyone even want to look at that? And for the most part, people said yes. You know, even, even if they themselves weren't maybe in a position to buy something, they wanted to see it and wanted to kind of either as a form of probably escapism, you know, the, that kind of joy of hitting add to cart, even if you don't hit checkout. I think a lot of women just really <laughs> find satisfaction in that, myself included. So, yeah, now I feel like I've, kind of been mixing in, you know, content that maybe speaks a little bit more to the current climate in the country. As, and then at the same time, just some fun, lighthearted content of the old days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it sounds like your budgeting content actually started before the before the pandemic, right? It did. Yeah, that was at the beginning of last year. And like I said, I really, out of all the posts that I publish, I think I get the most feedback on the ones that are about money, which, you know, just really goes to show to me that not enough people are talking to women in that age bracket about finance. And I think that's changing. Um, but you know, certainly in my twenties, I didn't feel like I had any sort of, um, voice that was speaking directly to me about managing my money. What would you have liked to know back in, in your twenties? Like, what do you think? Um, a lot. (laughs) If we could turn back time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this goes back to a topic of how money attitudes change from decade to decade. Yeah. And listen, I mean, when I was 25, were there maybe resources out there for me, but I didn't even want to look because it would have required, you know, too big of a lifestyle change or something? Probably. You know, I'm not saying that there's nothing out there, but it didn't feel like it was readily available 
But I think, you know, one of the big things that seemed to always be the message in earlier in my personal finance life was like, you can't buy a Starbucks latte or you can't, you know, it's, it's all your shoes. That's the problem. And it's, it's like all of these kind of very, I don't want to say shaming, but you know, a little bit negative or like, you're the one messing this up rather than a place of kind of empowerment about your money, which is really how I think it, it probably is the most successful, you know, to just say, here's how you can understand your money and feel empowered to use it in the way that you want, you know, feel kind of free of whatever it is, debt or, you know, any of these things rather than kind of just, um, it's these feminine purchases you're making that are, you know, your problem, which is kind of, I feel like a little bit of what the messaging used to be. Um, and again, I think, I think a lot of that's changing, which is great. Yeah. You said something interesting that I hadn't thought about before, which is kind of, I think you said as a, as a woman in your twenties, you didn't feel like there was a lot of resources or education for you. And for me, you know, growing up, I, I feel like money was always something that was discussed and talked about. And I wonder how much of that is like being a man and kind of thinking about like providing for a family and managing finances and thinking about retirement and all those sort of things. But, you know, you're a successful professional in New York City as a female. Do you see some some gender roles or a, kind of a missing gap in in the female side of managing money and thinking about money and kind of owning and being on top of your money that's that's maybe uh more covered on the the male side or a more masculine topic yeah i mean i, I think 100 percent that speaks so much to it and i think you know my parents were really good budgeters you know we didn't have a lot of money growing up but i definitely saw that they were very careful with their money and um you know it's it's not to say that they didn't talk about money because they had two daughters but at the same time i definitely don't think the message probably was that we alone would be responsible for providing for a household or I just don't think they imagined that to be the case. And then it's really everywhere from there. It's, you know, I feel like there should be budgeting classes in high school and maybe there are now, I don't know, but you know, there just weren't. And there, yeah, I feel like boys are taught that a little bit more and girls just kind of aren't. And again, that's a generalization, but I, I definitely think that that was the case kind of growing up in, in the eighties and nineties. And now I really do see things changing, especially here in New York, obviously, um, where I'm not the exception by any means to be the kind of breadwinner of uh, a household. And, you know, there's great things like Elvest, which are, you know, specifically kind of focused on female investing. Um, but again, yeah, not a, not a lot of those things seem to exist even just 10 years ago, which is kind of wild. And another thing is in, in the couple dynamic, it's not necessarily the man who's in charge of the budgeting and the spending, right? Like you were talking about in your dynamic with your partner that you're the one saying, hey, this is how much money you can spend. And I know, I mean, I can think of other people in in my life, other couples where the woman's in sort of in charge of the of the financial world and then what can be spent where. So uh, I'm interested, like Dan, in your world, Dan, like are you giving out budgets and stuff like that? Or is, is your wife giving you budgets? I mean, I, I kind of know the answer, but I'm going to throw right. the question yeah, out I there. Hear. 
Yeah. Yeah. So in my situation, I am definitely the one managing all the finances. And I don't know if you've heard this story, Jess, but basically where Weekly came from was me trying to find an effective way to communicate to my wife how much money we had to spend. And we tried lots of different apps that have been out for a while. Like we've used Mint and spreadsheets and it always felt like we kind of got burdened down, like different categories and moving things around. It wasn't clear, you know, it was on a monthly basis. And it's, that's kind of like you mentioned earlier, that's a lot to bite off and having your money split between categories just seemed to be confusing. And so, you know, a few years ago, I sat down and I said to myself, how, what, what is the simplest way to communicate how much money we can spend and you know that's where basically the idea with uh weekly came from was to isolate your recurring expenses that we are we already know in advance what they're going to be and then take what's left and break it down week over week and so in my situation it was kind of i mean it was more me managing the finances but i would say now that we use weekly my wife uh has a clear amount that like we can spend, she does a lot of the shopping and things for our household, but I feel like she has a lot more control over what's happening and knowing how much money we have and being able to roll over extra money into the next week and has a lot more control that way. So that's kind of our situation, but I agree to your earlier point, I think Drew, that you were making, which is regardless of who's the breadwinner or basically the breadwinner is not always the person that manages the finances, right? In a lot of relationships, I think some person makes the money and the other person manages it. And so it kind of gets to the point of the need to have, you know, men and women, boys and girls being educated on on personal finance. That might be your responsibility. How has managing money in a relationship been for you, Jess? You know, I think that I was the one that kind of, you know, was the catalyst for our change with our money just because I was kind of feeling fed up and, you know, I knew I wanted these bigger things or had, you know, kind of aspirations of, you know, what I wanted the future to look like. And then when you looked at the bottom line at the end of the month, it was like, how are we ever going to get there? You know, it just felt like so far off. So I think I was definitely the, the push towards it, but I love, you know, kind of what Dan was saying, like between two people when you're managing, well, first of all, I'll say, you know, we kind of, our money goes into a pot. There's no, um, separate accounts. Yeah. Like it, well, we have, we have separate accounts, but it, it's looked at as all one lump sum, you know, it's not kind of like a, a, any sort of split within that. So we have an, let's say an even amount to spend each week. Um, but you know, once you get to that number of, okay, we have X amount to spend each week, it feels a lot better to just say, okay, and that can be spent within reason, you know, however you see fit essentially, rather than it feels like one person reports to the other person, you know, that's <laughs> yes. not a great dynamic. <laughs> Yes. Um, no, no one likes that. Like saying, um, you know, how much did you spend on lunch? And then, you know, carefully writing that down, like it, yeah. kind of, you know, no one needs to be reprimanded unless again, it's, it's some crazy purchase that was off the wall, um, which isn't the case, but it does feel nice. And that's why I like the idea of weekly too, thinking about that to just kind of say, okay, we're both, you know, autonomous in this, um, spending and give people a control of their own decisions within that. But so let's say you have $200 in your weekly safe to spend amount and you both want to spend that on something. How do you 
is it conflict free? I win. Free? Drew. I win. It- <laughs> <laughs> you spent one hundred and ninety-five dollars. I have five dollars left. <laughs> Wood paneling? Yeah. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually, usually it's a discussion, probably of you know how that's going to be spent, or you know whether we want to do something together, or a purchase. I know, like, okay, in a couple of months, we really want to be able to get a new couch or something, you know, it's like, we kind of have some benchmarks of the purchases that we know maybe are upcoming. And then, yeah, if one of us kind of wants to spend something discretionary, it's usually talks about outside of, you know, a lunch or like things that are really small, but. Yeah, that is interesting. It seems like not having categories reduces some of the friction, but also the shorter time periods. Like each week you get more money. And so you can kind of get on a pace that's like, on average, I know I spend about X dollars a day for food or gas or, you know, just kind of regular day to day things. And then expenses outside of that, you can talk about and kind of look at your weekly budget to see what's available. Yeah. And I'm curious if if you find this dynamic at all between, you know, you and your partners of like, I'm personally a person who would not spend a little day to day, but I want like one big quality thing. Whereas Adam like crumples up a $20 bill and just throws it out the window every time he walks outside. I swear. Like, it's like, where are these little amounts going? And like, there's like nothing to go for it. You know, it's just like, oh, I... You know, I popped into the dollar store downstairs and just, you know, found 20 things that we could use. Um, (laughs) And we have, so, you know, often my purchases probably look worse, but if you added up all the little ones, you know, we probably net even, but we just spend in very different ways. Yeah, that is interesting. Target is a thing. That's uh, when I was doing the budget for us before weekly was around i would download all of our transactions into a software that did essentially like a profit and loss for our household and i was the target receipts would just blow me away i'm I'm like we spent 180 dollars, and what do we get and it's you know and then i would try to categorize it right which one of these is household (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what what is what is this and it was just that uh, I, it was that poor dynamic like you were talking about like someone feel like they're answering to someone else i didn't do a good job of, i didn't do <laughs> a good job of it but yeah it was like target can just you can spend 150 dollars in target without like without even trying and it'll be like a toy <laughs> and <laughs> home decor and you know some yeah great- like a a week later, you're like, what What did oh, I get that? there? What, yeah. Right, you, yeah. know? you can't even find it in the house. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's got to be a, a very one of the most common pitfalls, I would imagine, in couples budgeting is the desire. I think it's like a, a healthy desire to manage your spending, but going about it in the way that's, that's breaking it down in too great a detail and causing... Sometimes, like you, you mentioned, just shame. Like people, you know, feel bad where you just really don't need to. So, how about you, Dan? Did you have some conflict while you were trying to resolve your budgeting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I studied accounting in college, and so, (laughs) like, for me, it was no sweat to like really get detailed with our finances and have reports and all sorts of stuff. But that that did not 
translate well um, with Anna, my wife. Like she was just like, okay, you're giving me like seven graphs. What do you want from me? Like, it, and I and I totally get it. I'm I'm like so glad I'm married to her because she she just is really to the point. She's like, what what do you want from me? Like, what? I don't care about these graphs. I don't care about like all the details of where our money went. Just like, what's the action? And so that was that was hard for me for a while because I think that's the old pattern. That's the old paradigm. It's like mm-hmm. uh, you have to manage your money, and this is the way you do it. And you categorize, and you check in at the end of the month, and you know. And in today's world, like we basically don't keep receipts for anything. Most things that we either buy online or buy at Costco, you don't even need a receipt to return it. Like there's just no need for it. So we don't keep receipts. We don't categorize things. We budget on a weekly basis. And I think that those changes are becoming more mainstream and and helping with these problems that people have uh, using the old paradigm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember growing up, my parents, you know, Saturday morning, they balanced the checkbook. Oh yeah. It was like, don't talk to them for those two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like life oh. with stress. Um, yes. Yeah. And I mean, even still, you know, my mom tries to like save all of her receipts because she swears that she may get charged something different than what was on the receipt, which has happened like one time in the 20 years that she's been doing yeah. that process. Yeah. But, that is such a good point. Yeah. I, I think I it's do that hard too sometimes. <laughs> I think it's hard for people who have done something a certain way for a long time to change that, you know, like t- looking back in retrospect, thinking about how many hours of effort your mom has put in saving receipts compared to the money she may have lost on that one transaction. Like, it's just not, it's not worth it, right? Like even the, the dollars aren't worth it, not to mention the, the stress that it adds to your life, which is really, I think the biggest problem is just the anxiety around money, right? Yeah, no, I think that was a real driving force. I mean, you know, again, I feel like so much of our money is from how our families managed money. It, it's oh, like yeah. so built into Definitely. us for so long. And my sister and I have tried to talk to my parents about you know, using a credit card for points so that they're getting something back for their spending. And I feel like they were always so careful with budgeting that they did not want to put anything on a credit card unless they absolutely, you know, it's like the money was right there. They could pay it off, but they cannot grasp for some reason still really like that feels like a little too risky to just be yeah, using that yeah. credit card each month. Yes. And like you could use it, you know, in a lot of ways, just the way that you're using your debit card, but be getting, you know, 2% cash back right away, yeah, like back into yeah, your pocket. Totally. But it's just those habits that are, are pretty hard to break. Well, I can understand their reticence in terms of not wanting to go down that credit card route to get into debt. So that strategy of earning the points works great as long as you pay off that credit card every month. Right. Because as soon as you start paying that interest or you you forget it one time, you'll be in the red on the points, I think. Yeah? Yeah. I do the credit card thing and I'm using the points to get... uh, airline tickets are used to anyway <laughs> before the Those pandemic. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that, Jess. Like f- we we had a time where we had credit card balance as well and and basically that we were carrying over. And one of the techniques that I used when I got to the point where I was like, look, we're going to be paying interest on this thing soon. So are we going to pay interest or we don't have the money to pay it off yet? So what are we going to do? And I started opening up 
a new credit card accounts to that had like 18 months interest free. And what I would do is start using that card for all of our day-to-day spending and basically kind of transfer. So you can do like a balance transfer for with something like that, that'll usually charge you between three and 5% of the transfer. But another option would be to sort of transfer it by way of spending money on that new card and only paying the minimum payments and then paying off the older card. And so I, I did that for a couple of years without paying any interest. That on, makes me very nervous, but I was I mean, definitely well, that, meaning that you would yeah. pay it off at the end of the month. But what if you lose your job or something happens in those couple months and then you have like five credit cards open? Okay, okay. Let Damn, me, let me back up. Let you. me back up. Oh, go get him, Jeff. Get him, no, Jeff. No, no, Yeah, you're right, we didn't man. Have, we never had five credit cards. <laughs> All I'm saying Talk is like about we, Headaches. <laughs> I mean, I've like broken out of a sweat just thinking about it. (laughs) I can't hardly tell this story without getting ridiculed. But the thing, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we never paid any interest on the credit card. You know, we didn't have five credit cards. I'm not saying I opened up a new credit card and racked up that and had multiple credit cards with balances. I'm simply saying that because there's so many credit cards you can get that have no interest for like 12 months, 18 months, or even longer... If you're in a position where you just can't pay off your credit card debt immediately, there are other ways to not pay interest in the short term, right? You need to be paying it off as a whole and you need to get your cards paid off. But like, even this conversation is kind of funny because in my mind, it's like, it's so blatantly obvious to do that, like paid zero interest. And like the risk is just the same risk. It's like, if I didn't do that, then I'd be paying interest on this original card, right? Like the time is going to elapse and I'm going to start paying interest. But like that is from the kind of the current culture and perspective on money, that's like insanity. Like no one would ever recommend that. That's an awful idea. Don't do it. But if you just look at the dollar and cents about the whole thing, I think there that opens up strategies. I think it's very similar to this idea of keeping receipts or the way that you manage your your budget. I think if we open up our minds a little, there there are ways to manage our money that's more effective and can save us money or earn us money. And I'm sticking to that position. I I totally agree with a lot of that. I mean, I think in a perfect world, listen, you I would be starting off with a credit card with, you know, nothing on it. And then I would put what I could pay each month down, you know, onto it, get the points and continue that cycle. But we're definitely talking about, you know, if you're starting from the middle somewhere how to kind of work your way out of that or, you know, use the system to the best advantages. And I think certainly sometimes there's risk in that. And I think, you know, each person has to measure that risk for themselves and, you know, what you're comfortable with plus what you know you could get out of or, you know. Yeah, because the risk is managing multiple accounts. You forget one. You get a $35 late fee. Oh, God, you know. And that $35, (laughs) was it it the interest for several months? That's the risk. But if you feel like you can handle it, like, you got, I got all the sheets. I know what's going on. (laughs) Right, for Dan, exactly. You know, you're an accountant. You're seeing all the numbers. I think for, for the average person that could potentially be a dangerous path to go down. But, oh, I'm curious what you guys think about these kind of new, like, it's like the modern layaway, um, after pay and those programs. Have you heard of these? Mm -mm. Okay. So on a ton of retail sites now, you can use 
the bigger one is Afterpay, and I'm blanking on some of the other names, but it's essentially, you know, the same shopping website that you'd be going to. You can break up the purchase into four different, um, mm. you know, installments. Yeah, I have seen that now that you mentioned the, f- the four payments. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's really, I think, heavily targeted at my kind of age, like I'd say 18 to 35 year olds who let's say, you know, you want to go shopping, but you don't get paid until next week. So you buy this using Afterpay, you check out using Afterpay and then bi-weekly, I think it charges you the four installments. Um, there's no interest, but of course, if you miss one of those payments, there is, there's penalty fees or whatever it is. And I think it's like this very slippery slope where if you're a person that's great at managing your money, then Okay. But if you're using Afterpay on, let's say, 10 different shopping websites, you know, your Sephora, your Anthropology, all of these different places, and then things are slipping through the cracks, it becomes obviously like very dangerous. And I think it's just, um, it's a little bit, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I, I haven't used it personally, um, but, you know, I have friends that do. So, what's the smallest amount? You could put on Afterpay. Will they take anything? Like you could go and get $10 and put it on Afterpay and Afterpay just sort of keeps it going like a credit card or something? I know that to join Afterpay, you get approved for a certain amount. That amount seems to be not based on a whole lot, but let's say it's, you know, you're approved up to $1,000 or something. I think that most websites, I want to say it's like $20 and up you can use Afterpay. I feel like I've seen that on maybe Urban Outfitters or somewhere. Um, it's a slippery slope. I don't know. Yeah. I, there's a couple of things that come to my mind for that. So you mentioned earlier how you've been working on having three months of expenses in your savings, right? Basically just liquid cash that you could use if you needed to. And I think that's a really healthy place to be in. We should all be working to have money set aside for our living expenses if we didn't have our income and afterpay is really encouraging that us to spend our money before we get it so so if you have 3 months of savings then every dollar you spend you earned 3 months ago and so that that timeline is really important if you think of like you know the money in in your bank going in the bottom and then you're taking off what what's at the top that that your money has a long life cycle but if you don't have the money for a purchase and you're putting it on afterpay you're actually spending money that you're going to earn or expecting to earn in 4 weeks or 8 weeks or whenever that last payment is and so i think that's like a kind of scale to think about where afterpay or a service like that is pushing you out of savings, actually spending money that you don't have yet. And the second thing is, you know, whenever you have something like this, it's just like with the credit card. It's kind of like what I was describing before with having a, a second credit card to get the zero interest. And for me, that was like one card for like $10,000, right? And so if I'm moving money over to this other card, I'm saving a lot of money in interest. But to have a whole separate account for like, a $100 purchase, you're not getting much in terms of like interest savings or anything else by using that if you used it and then paid it off. And so again, I think the ratio to management and and the risk of having to pay a late fee versus the actual benefit you get is pretty high ratio. Yeah. 
And it also, you know, it kind of takes away the burn of the purchase when you, you don't feel the whole thing come out of your account right away. And mm-hmm. I feel like especially for the younger audience that it essentially targets, um, it's like a tricky kind of baseline. I don't know, it, like to set up for them, like it, you can buy anything, you'll pay it off later. What's the advantage of Afterpay over a credit card? Is it just if you don't have enough limit on your credit card or? I think that it's the no interest essentially, but I mean, like Dan said, it's no interest credit cards for at least for, you know, the first 18 months or whatever you could find. I actually think that it was born out of this kind of young millennial feeling that so many millennials actually don't have credit cards now. They're so afraid of them. I forget what I read the other day of the percentage. Um, We'll fact check this at the end, but people now in their 20s that don't have credit cards as opposed to even, you know, I'm on the older side, I'll say, of the millennials that, you know, we all did right out of college. And I think it's because, yeah, they were scared of seeing all of the people come before them with credit card debt and student loan debt and all of it piling up. Um, so I feel like it's it targets that kind of mindset of like, okay, we know you kids don't want credit cards, but how about this? Just right. like a credit card in disguise. Don't get credit card debt. Get afterpay debt. It's better. <laughs> it's better. Like they've just branded mm. it better. Do you know what the uh, the payment duration is? It's like four payments. Is it every two weeks you pay? It's or? bi-weekly. Yep. Okay. So, you, so you'd have eight weeks, which would be a little bit longer than if you were paying off a credit card in 30 days or something. It reminds me of payday loans a little bit. Like mm, yeah. you're going to get paid in the future. Here's your check now. We'll charge you some insane interest on your payday loan. Am I wrong? No, I agree. I think it feels a little bit like predatorial in a, in a way on because of the demographic that I see, you know, because of the websites where it's being used, which are, you know, the Urban Outfitters, the ASOS of the world, like those are kids and they're, you know, 18 to 35 that are shopping there. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. Cool. Yeah, that that was a good topic. topic. Interesting. Yeah. So I have a question for you. What's it like being in the fashion world in New York City? I'd like to hear more about that. What do you do in the fashion world? Okay, so I'm a COO at a jewelry company or a small brand um, founder owned and led. It's been in business for like 16 years. We're in kind of the designer jewelry market, I'll say. So sold on our own website as well as um, kind of upscale boutiques and places like Neiman Marcus or around the world, Barney's Japan. Um, So that's where I've been for going on seven years now. And before that worked in a mix of women's accessories and clothing. So you work for a jewelry creator who ships their jewelry to different retail sites where they get sold to the end consumer. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah. So we have our own e-commerce so you can shop, you know, directly from our brands or you can find it you know, at other wholesale boutiques. It's such a funny question. I feel like it feels a little bit heavy because of just the year that you're asking. If you had asked me two years ago, I'd be like, it's great. It's fun. You know, it's a, it's like a fun, exciting career. This year has obviously been a very challenging year just across the board. Um, I mean, competitors filing for bankruptcy, Neiman Marcus filed for bankruptcy this year. Um, you know, it just, it's a whole different landscape, but the first 10 years that I was here at it, um, it felt very fun. And I mean, those are kind of the, the ups and downs of any industry. I, you know, this is the only one I've worked in, so I can't speak to other industries, but I graduated actually during, you know, the recession in 2009. So 
that was certainly a tough time too. And I was lucky to find a job right away and kind of keep working. Um, I had always interned in the city, so I kind of had a, a little bit of a start, but this is a kind of a tough time. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's the only way to say it. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I did say, yeah. Apologies says for the flippant question, I was just sort of interested in like what the, you know, fashion week in New York, but I guess all that is, you know, also off or not happening or virtual. And I'm not even know when it happens. Like, is that something you guys are involved in? We do usually have fashion week presentations. We actually haven't the past one to two years, I guess. And, you know, won't this year, but I think uh, most are kind of doing these virtual presentations, which, you know, in some ways is really exciting because you're seeing all of these amazing like video styles and new innovations come out of that. You know, it's a creative industry. So in some ways, like you almost need a box to be able to think outside a box, I guess, if if that's the thing. Um, You know, so it's like the whole game has been changed. So now what do you do with it? Um, So I think you're going to see some brands do really like exciting and innovative things this fashion week. But I definitely already just feel feel sad for kind of the energy that the fashion industry and fashion week brings to this city. Like there's, you know, September is just my favorite time of year. It's like the whole city is buzzing with the excitement of like, you know, you're seeing the off duty models outside of the shows and, you know, whether or not you're seeing celebrities or like just kind of all of this, um, this buzz that really just, you feel it across the whole city and, you know, certainly, it's a part of my day-to-day life, so I'm more in tune with it. But I think um, it really does just kind of bolster everyone here. And so so that's going to be a little bit strange this year. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You know, I think everything, in some ways, you know, a lot of things needed to evolve. So this is a, a push in the right direction. You know, some of these department store models or kind of systems that were a little bit outdated anyway, this is really just the push to adapt. Um, mm-hmm. I guess people will still buy jewelry for their Zoom meetings or what have you, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, listen, I mean, we call it top-up real estate right now. Okay, okay, Uh, there's a term for it. Yeah, you want to be selling anything that you can see from the top-up. Like, shoes are a hard sell um, right now, but we have have a connection, uh, a lady that works at Warby Parker, which is, you know, the, the glasses brand. And she said, you know, for instance... They didn't sell a lot of sunglasses this summer, but the blue light blocking glasses flying off the shelves. So, you know, you kind of have hoped this year that you were in a top up market and, um, you know, just try to weather it out and (laughs) see how you can go into the next year. Cool. Well, Jess, thanks for coming on. Like uh, before you go, though, tell people where they might read your blog and or follow you on Instagram. Sure. Yeah. So um, my blog is The Steel Maiden. And I, that's where I'm at on Instagram too. And I, th- I think that's it. Just the steelmaiden.com. And yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, cool. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, talk guys. Bye. Minutes since I've had that. She's my type of girl, and everybody knows it.